Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Rundown, where we talk about 2A news and conservative views. I will be your host today, Craig Deleuze, coming at you from the West Coast, the left coast, behind the Iron Curtain, otherwise known as the Sierras. But as you all know, I do not do this program by myself. That's right. My name is Mike Piorski, coming to you live from the East Coast, the coast with the most, from the co-host with the most here on The Rundown, 2A views, conservative news. How is your Taco Tuesday, Craig? It's going just fine. It's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos. It's raining tacos. Out in the street. That's right. It's raining tacos, ladies and gentlemen. It is Taco Tuesday, where we celebrate uh, America. I, I think I, I think if there is a quintessential food that is American, tacos has got to be included among them. Really, you want to go with the Mexican food as the quintessential American food? I, I, I do not consider the taco as has been adopted by America to be Mexican anymore. No more so than I'll give okay. you an example. I did not even realize this. So I was, we were preparing our uh, corned beef and and cabbage for St. Patrick's Day, only to find out that yeah, no, they don't really eat corned beef in Ireland. Like what? So there are a lot of things that we adopt that we think that we attribute to others, other cultures. That yeah, no, we we they're they're that's actually pretty darn American. So when the uh, when the taco trucks down by the construction sites are run by Americans and not Mexicans, then I'll give you I'll give that one to you. But until then, not so much. Not so okay. Much. Well, <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Well, let's put it this way: Is there a foreign food that we have that has been more uh, what's the word appropriated culturally appropriated than tacos? Pizza. Okay, I'll give you that one. Okay, so we got pizza and tacos. <laughs> oh, how about a pizza taco? Ooh, that is multiculturalism right there. Diversity, there equity, and inclusion, pot. baby. It's a melting pot in my belly. <laughs> there you go. Diversify your belly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. How was your How was your uh, your your day off or days off? Well. Uh, this is uh, last week was uh, you know ridiculous, right? Um, and this week has been uh, uh, the weekend was good. It was a baseball weekend, multiple games, spring training games, World Baseball Classic games, and wow, what some incredible World Baseball Classic stuff we got going on! Can't wait for tonight's game, what starts in about two hours, uh, the, for, to, to find out who the champion is going to be, Japan or uh, USA. But uh, Great stuff, great stuff, and then work yesterday just took me away from everybody, so couldn't make it to the microphone in time. Completely understandable, completely understandable. But the baseball classic was good. Now, were you? Oh, with- listen, we had the, the two the two semifinal rounds were uh, USA versus Cuba, and then we watched that game in Miami at the at the stadium, so it was unbelievable um, the atmosphere there. Um, you know, and they're one and done games, just those seven game series. So it's like watching seven games worth of World Series all in one game, the intensity. Uh, and then last night was Japan versus Mexico. 
and uh, uh, Japan was, or excuse me, Mexico was in the lead until the last at bat, and Japan won it from him. Wow. So Marco Rubio was reporting that they were like banning or keeping people from wearing, uh, you know, pro Cuba. If you had a pro Cuba sign and they saw it, or if you were wearing pro Cuba t-shirts or whatnot, they made you take it off. Is it, did, did you see your experience, any of that? Yeah. Let me send you a pic. Maybe we can actually get this up in time. And here's the signs that were being put up. Um, well, let me see to you. Uh, here we go. Live. This is live folks. This is, this is, this is on the air kind of stuff. Sending things to Craig. Um, here you go. Okay. Yeah, I can pull that up. Well, check it out. Check it out. Look how fast. It, look at that. Technology, baby. Technology. So the Cuban Americans that were there, the Cubans that were there, they had this uh, uh, Plateria e Vida, which is homeland and life uh, in mm. Spanish. Um, and it was on, they had it on shirts, they had it on signs, they had it on everything. Uh, and they were also chanting uh, Libertad, Libertad, which is freedom. Um, and it was okay in the stands. The problem was they were getting behind home plate next to the the Cuban dugout and they were they were they were they were, they were preaching this or yelling this chanting this at the Cuban dugout and mm. it wasn't that anybody in the fans uh in or the stands didn't like it Craig it's that the 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 Cuban team and the Cuban staff were kind of upset that the uh, 37,000 people were trying to get their team to defect and that's when they started to move people away from near the Cuban dugout well I think it was largely probably the, the, the people running the team, because I understand one player actually did defect, didn't he? Yeah, Ivan Prieto, he, uh, he did defect. In fact, we had a conversation about it shortly beforehand that there had not been a lot of defections in the past you know, eight or ten years, and that's because Cubans, the Cuban policy has been now players, uh, they want players with families, players with families, you know, whether parents or kids or wives. That way, if they defect, they're leaving everybody behind. So, right. Uh, it was a lot of single guys that were defecting back in the day. Right. Ah, excellent point, excellent point. You know what? We've actually started the show, but before we officially start, uh, we better get that shout-out to our sponsors. Yeah, absolutely. Let's say hello to our good friends at Hitman Industries. That's hitmanindustries.net, hitmanindustries.net. If you got yourself an AR in the past five years, probably got one of their barrels and don't even know it, now you can buy from them direct for your new AR build or just to rebarrel your current rifle, go to hitmanindustries.net. California Republican Assembly fighting a good fight behind enemy lines. Now you can take part in California's future today. Make sure you check out California Republican Assembly. Hog Holsters, that's H-A-W-G holsters.com, H-A-W-G holsters.com. Get yourself an awesome concealed tactical holster. Use the discount code, the rundown, all one word, all caps, no spaces. Get a great discount. And if you want some great field gear, go on over and visit our friends at uscombatgear.com. Folks, these are our sponsors. They bring us to you so that we'll bring you to them. So do us a favor. Check them out. Visit them. You can just follow the link in the description of this program uh, and then go to their website. If you like what you see, spend some money with them and make sure you tell them that the guys over at The Rundown sent you. Also want to encourage you to, uh, well, if you, however you are following us, make sure you find other ways to follow us. And the best way to do that is you can go to the rundown.us. That's the rundown.us. Uh, and you can find out all the places where you can watch and or listen to the show. Uh, because, you know, we all know that the folks over at YouTube and Facebook, you know, they, they, they're throttling us. They don't want us to get the word out. 
So make it easier. Number one, share it with people. Share even those links with people, but also find other ways to watch because sometimes what'll happen is they'll take down a video and we won't. you won't even know that that video is gone. And uh, that means that chances are that if that video is gone, that means uh, there was some truth in what we were saying. So you want to make sure the Trufuses. Yeah, we had <laughs> Yeah, they try they trying to shut down the Trufuses. So anyway, encourage your friends to like, share, and subscribe. And it's been really nice to see the audience growing, especially the podcast audience is growing uh leaps and bounds. So uh, you know, but folks, let us know if you wanted the great place to actually watch the program is OpsLens. Uh, there's no censorship there. Spotify is also a great one because there you can either watch or listen. Now the problem with Spotify is we're not live on Spotify or actually we're not really, we're not live on Lopslens either. Uh, would love to be live on there, but uh, our time slot is currently taken. It happens. However you choose to partake, please partake. All right, let's get into today's show. Uh, let's see here. All right, our first story here, uh, well, will affect those of us in California greatly. So in California, we have this thing called the Not Unsafe Handgun Roster. That's right. It's called the Not Unsafe Handgun Roster because the government of the state of California could not dare say that a gun is safe. But anyway, about 2001, there was this roster that was created, and they sold it as the idea of, well, this is going to be about consumer protection. We're going to make sure these firearms are safe. Like they were coming out against these, what they call, quote unquote, cheap Saturday night specials, uh, you know, that they were saying were cheap guns that were causing people that were not working, that were uh, danger to people, or if you dropped them, they would go off. Uh, so they said, we're going to create what's called a drop test. We're going to require people to submit a version of the, a sample of the firearm along with pay it with paying a fee. Uh, and we'll test it. Well, uh, as soon as they did that, uh, it turns out that no fi- none of the firearms that were submitted, none of them failed any of the drop tests. But with that, then five years later, they introduced legislation that would add a couple of different features. One is a uh, magazine disconnect safety, so that if a magazine is ejected from the firearm, the firearm won't shoot. Uh, the other was a loaded chamber indicator so that if, uh, a cha- if there's a round in the chamber, this little thingy will pop out and you'll know that there's a round in the chamber. The goal of those two is, quote unquote, to supposedly uh, uh, eliminate uh, accidental misfire. So people shoot the gun because they thought it was unloaded. Well, after and that was in two, took place in 2007, and you saw significant de- a significant decrease in the number of new firearms, new model firearms, or, or sorry, handguns, uh, semi-automatic handguns that were available in the state of California. Well, then fast forward to a couple of years later, they passed a law that required micro stamping. This is where uh, this is where they put the serial number on the firing pin, and it's supposed to mark the cartridge. So when so once it's ejected. You know, they can tell what fire, they know what firearm uh, was used in the crime because the serial number is there. Now, mind you, in, the, the, this is a bad idea in a number of different reasons, seeing that number one, it took about three minutes and a fingernail file. That's all it took to really undo the, undo the, 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 uh, undo the micro stamping or just switching out the firing pin. But they also required it in two places, which technologically was impossible. Well, California Attorney General, uh, and then, by the way, that was set such that it didn't, it wasn't going to be initiated until it was technologically viable. Well, 
Attorney General, then Attorney General Kamala Harris said, oh yeah, microstamping technology exists. To do it in two places didn't exist, but to microstamp existed. So uh, they approved it. Uh, there was a, a guy who was the founder of, uh, one of the founders of Calguns Foundation who actually bought the patent. And so he was able to put it off for a couple of years, but eventually 2013. Uh, since then, there has not been a new model semi-automatic handgun introduced uh, in the state of California. Not one. So we're operating basically in California on 10-year-old technology, 10-year-old firearms technology. Well, a federal judge has struck down the not unsafe handgun roster. And what's really kind of neat about it is the arguments that I think they tried to make uh, and uh, and how he came back about how he how basically the judge kind of combated it. But before we get into any of those details, I wanted to uh, want to give Mike a chance to to chime in on this particular uh, development. Yeah, listen, Craig. Let's let's be clear on this. And New Jersey tried this also. They they pass a law that says your gun you can't own this gun unless it has these features, and these features did not exist. Um, you know, like you said, the, the micro stamping and Kamala Harris said that hadn't been done before except in two places or hadn't been done in two places before. Well, it existed in two places, Craig. It existed in the movies and in her brain. It was, it was not real technology to do this micro stamping. And like you said, when it, when it, they were able to get some kind of markings on the firing pin, it wasn't an entire serial number. It was just a, an identifiable mark that they put on there that was easily beat with a, a nail file and three minutes worth of perseverance. Um, you know, New Jersey did the same with the, uh, listen, you can't uh, you can't have a new gun unless it has, you know, fingerprint matching technology or something like that. It's literally coming up with stuff out of the movies and saying, "Oh, that looks good. Let's do that. Let's do that. that that's what we want on our guns from now on." It's 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 not real. It, it doesn't work. Uh, and on all it's done is probably made Californians less safe because newer guns have other new features they came out with just just as as the normal course of business and improvement of products. But none of those items have made it into uh, this not unsafe roster because it was just, you know, handgun efficiency and firearm efficiency that was added into new models. And you don't get to have those. Well, and, you know, Mike, I'll tell you, it, it got even worse. If you change, for example, where you got your springs from, right, or where you got your triggers from, or if you changed anything, uh, anything that was deemed non-cosmetic, uh, it became a new model firearm and therefore was subject to uh, subject to the roster, which meant micro stamping as well as everything else. By the way, the roster also required them to submit a copy of the firearm in $200, right? And they had to do that every year. Every year they yeah. had to do that with each fire with each model firearm. Now, what some manufacturers would do is because they wanted people to buy the newest model handgun, what they would do is, is some manufacturers just stopped submitting them, right? That way they could force you if you wanted to buy one. You couldn't buy the older model, which might be more inexpensive. You had to buy the newer one. And so a lot of, a lot of firearms retailers, that's why some, many, several of them did not fight the roster because it was a way for them to push new model handguns. Right now, what, what's the cutoff on the Glock there in California? Is it Gen 3 or Gen 4? Gen 3. Okay, Gen 3. Glock has continued to make the Gen 3. They're in the Gen 5.5 already. So they've, they've right. gone, you know, two and a half chance past that. They, they continue to make the Glock 3 for California, which is why, listen, all, all, all this law helped to do was put more money in Glock's pocket. So whatever they think that they're doing, they're not. It's California's become a Glock state. 
because they still make the Gen 3, the old technology. Well, exactly. But that, 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 once again, is exactly what's happened. Now, here's the other thing, though. Now, I'm sure you've heard stories nationally of, you know, California law enforcement officers being arrested for firearms trafficking. Well, here's what they're doing. What they would do is, is that, see, law enforcement is exempt, right? So they can buy the newest model firearms. And uh, then what was happening was they would buy them and then turn around and sell them. Now, in California, you're not considered a dealer unless you sell up to, unless you sell five or more firearms in a given year. But the other thing that you have to be wary of is, when you sign that form, the 4473, you say that you're buying this firearm for your own personal use. If you're buying it for the purpose of selling it, well, that makes you a straw, a straw buyer. Uh, and once again, that's, that's what was getting a lot of these cops jammed up. Because once again, if you can sell a Gen 5 Glock, uh, you're going to sell it for a, a significant penny more than what you actually paid for it. Yeah, and they were confusing the federal law for the state law, and and, and vice versa. The the your state law says you, it's five guns, you know, and and the feds have never said that. They they have said uh, anytime you 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 purchase a firearm with the intent to sell it to someone else, that's a straw purchase. Uh, defining fire or dealing firearms uh, without a license has never been defined by them by a number or a timeline. So the California law did that, whereas the federal law didn't. So they figured they could just buy the gun and sell it. Uh, you can't do that now, Craig. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. You can you could still purchase one of these guns that's on the not unsafe list. It just has to be from an individual and not yes. from a dealer. Exactly. So, so that's where that comes from. So you can purchase it from yeah. someone in law enforcement or maybe someone who purchased the gun and owned it before they moved into the state. Uh, yeah. Either you know there, there's tons of different ways in which you can acquire a gun that is not on the not unsafe handgun roster. I wanted to read just a little bit here from, uh, uh, the, from the article here at The Reload. Uh, he notes here, it says, California argued its law had several historical analogs implementing gun restrictions aimed at preventing accidents or tracking firearms that date back to the founding era. The first was proving laws that required uh, inspectors to verify or prove that barrels were adequately constructed. The second dealt with regulations storing gunpowder on storing gunpowder as as a precaution against accidental accidental fires. Now, Mike, they tried to say that that's their historical precedent, but the truth is is that requiring that something function as it's designed to function is not against the law. So the initial roster in and of itself was not unconstitutional making sure like i said it passed the drop test or that it you know that was fine but when you started requiring it to add additional features in order to prevent uh, accidental fi accidental fire misfires that is not there is no historical precedent for that and when they then started talking about storing of gunpowder well that that once again that dealt with that dealt with fires and that didn't, by the way, require, you know, the addition of some different, uh, some different technology uh, to the actual storing of the gunpowder or to the uh, or to the firearm. Right. Yeah, it's uh, 
it, it, it's, again, it's it's people that don't know anything about guns making gun laws, thinking they're making everything safer. And actually, all they're do, doing is creating avenues around it so where people can get the same guns. And uh, and it, it's done nothing for California except create nightmares. Well, now, part of it, what I, I will say is, and this, and this is what I, what I really appreciate about what folks like at the California Rifle and Pistol Association, uh, folks at the Second Amendment Foundation, as well as FPC, what these folks are actually doing is realizing that they need to spend a little more time educating some of these judges on firearm technology. And I think that is what is helping make a difference in a number of these areas, because too many of these judges don't really know or understand firearm technology and how what is being requested by governments like California are just so completely and utterly unrealistic. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, you, you, you nailed it on the head. Again, we, people writing gun laws that know nothing about guns and nothing about gun crime and nothing about gun statistics. All they know is what they get from the uh, from the Bloombergs and the uh, the crazy moms and uh, the every town for gun safeties. Well, and you know, I, I, for some of my friends who are in the education community, when we talk about this particular thing, I said, imagine, I said, aren't don't you get frustrated when you have to comply with some law passed by some. Uh, some I passed by some politician who's never spent a day in a classroom having to teach students, uh, and and I said sometimes there's just there's a level of what you do that they just don't understand that makes it a little hard for them to comprehend why the idea that they're proposing is so crazy. Well, with firearms, that's a hundredfold, a hundredfold, and that's yep. the worst part is there are people who agree with us on the Second Amendment uh, who are as ignorant as those who don't care about the Second Amendment. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's definitely right. some ignorant people out there. <laughs> yeah, some ignorant people out there. <laughs> Speaking of ignorant, ignorant people. Now, this next story is about actually a guy who is, I, I, I know him. Uh, I, I consider him to be a friend. Uh, well, we know each other. And I consider, really nice guy. Wrong. Sincerely and utterly wrong uh, on so many different issues. But this one is the one that really takes the cake. Now, yesterday we had the San Francisco supervisor who, uh, who, who, who was upset and angry because she couldn't get more police officers in her community, despite the fact that she was responsible for and supported defunding the police in San Francisco in 2020. Well, now we have another case of this. Now you have an attorney general in the state of Nevada. His name is Aaron Ford, uh, who basically is now arguing that, look, we need to do something because uh, retail theft is out of control now in, law, in, uh, in, law, in, uh, uh, in Nevada, right? But this is also the very same Democrat who testified in favor of a bill that raised felony retail theft from $650 to $1,200. Now, mind you, let, let's make it real simple. Depending on the iPhone model, that's basically, you can steal an iPhone and it's still a misdemeanor. In some cases, you could steal a laptop and it is still a misdemeanor. Um, it, anyway, it is insane, Mike, that uh, once again, the level of, of lack of acknowledgement that, look, your policies help make this happen. Do me a favor, at least start by acknowledging that you were wrong. And then maybe the first thing we need to do is undo that policy that you implemented uh, in, in order to address some of these issues that you are now concerned with. 
Listen, I, I think if he if he came out, Craig, and said that he was wrong and he did this, I mean, obviously he'd be attacked by the uh, by the by the right by the opposition side. But I mean, if you want to keep your own voters, why don't you go to them and say, "Hey, listen, we were wrong. The statistics prove that we were wrong. We're going to walk this back and we're going to make this right. We're, we're going to make us safer. That's what we want to do." So we you know we thought this would do it and it didn't. Uh, so let's go back and 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 relook at this. And, and Craig, you just just for the folks out there, you know, you've seen these videos. You know, it's no longer, you know, what started as $100 just 10 years ago. It's now the, like, the average around the country is like 750 and it goes way above that now, like you have in California. Folks, you, these videos, you've seen them going into the store with shopping carts full of merchandise. Shopping carts full of merchandise. How many T-shirts and pairs of shoes can you get until you get to $1,200? That's a lot. They're filling everything up, and they're emptying out stores, and they're doing it, and, they're, uh, and all that does is hurt you. The average citizen, one, well, you got the more criminals out on, on the street, but two, you're paying higher prices for merchandise because they're just, you know, they're not writing it off. It's not like, oh, it's zero. It doesn't matter. We're doing insurance or whatever. They, they, they have to pay for that. They have to, they have to recoup that loss and they recoup that loss by laying it back into you and to the other products. It's called shrinkage is what they call it in the retail industry. Uh, here from the article there at the Washington Free Beacon, it says Ford on March 2nd presented a bill that would allow his office to investigate and prosecute organized retail theft crimes. The measure, Ford said, is necessary given the rise in retail theft crimes in Nevada. Last year, for example, the state saw a 15% increase in property crimes and a staggering 39% increase in drugstore thefts on the Las Vegas Strip. While Ford focused, but while Ford, I'm sorry, while Ford used the bill as proof, he's mounting a proactive push to reverse that trend. Critics say he's to blame for the problem in the first place. That's because Ford, in 2019, emerged as a vocal supporter of Assembly Bill 2036, a Democrat-led measure that overhauled Nevada's criminal justice system. Included in the bill, which Ford said his office was intimately involved with was a provision that raised the threshold for felony theft from $650 worth of stolen goods to $1,200. As a result, a criminal who steals $1,000 worth of goods, for example, can no longer be charged with a Class D felony, which carries a standard sentence of at least a year in jail. Um, sounds quite simple. That's decriminalizing crime. Because, by the way, the misdemeanor version of the of that crime was often just dismissed by uh, by by DAs, especially the one there, and I believe it's Henderson County uh, that that's located in. But yeah, in Las Vegas, they pretty much were just let them go for the misdemeanors, and uh, well, that doesn't do that doesn't do much good, does it? Uh, it does. It's not much of a deterrent if people know that they can go and steal, and their charges will eventually just be dismissed. Yeah, it's no deterrent at all. It's a, it's an encouragement to go out and steal. Man, I'm, I want this or I want that. I'm going to go ahead and just go get it because I know all I'm going to have to do is take some online class maybe if I get caught. Right, exactly. <coughs> Folks, look, it's real simple. Municipalities, places that decriminalize crime saw crime go up. They saw violent crime go up. They saw property crime go up. They saw nuisance crimes go up. Places that uh, kept crime uh, as, and had stiff penalties and, and, and kept crime as crime, yeah, not so much. They didn't see the same increases that uh, that uh, the, some of these liberal bastions did. So 
uh, it, it's not guns. It's not gun laws uh, that made the different that made the difference. Uh, it was decriminalizing crime, or as the as Vice President Kamala Harris would say, by being smart on crime. Not what so is, smart. She's More a, like dumb on crime. She's, she's a, a dim rod. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't even think of a better word for her. She's a she's a fool. Adult. There, there Adult. You go. <laughs> yep. Um. Next, we have the White House press corps endorses censorship. And if anyone who's watched, and I know most people don't watch the White House press briefings, but there is uh, there is a reporter. His name is Simon Ataba. He's a, he works for Today News Africa. Now, he has been a vocal uh, critic and questioner of the, uh, of the White House, uh, in particular KJP, because... Uh, for some reason, she just does not like this guy. Uh, and as a result, uh, most of the time, she just does not call on him. Now, I'm trying to remember, Mike, exactly when she became the spokesperson. But this is a reporter who basically raised the question that he's asking her and demanding, why is it you have not asked a, asked a question of me? Allow, I'm sorry, allowed me to ask a question for seven months, Right. For seven months, she has not allowed him uh, to ask a question. And, uh, well, let's just say as a result of that questioning, there was a bit of a, well, there was a hubbub. And they say it descended into chaos. And I'll tell you why at the end. And you'll probably be able to hear why it descended into chaos. And, Mike, I will let you, Mike, ask. uh, I'll let you inquire or point out why you believe it descended into chaos right after we listen to this clip. You can keep discriminating against some people in the briefing room because you don't like them, you don't like them. So you have a choice. No, you, you, you have a choice. You have a choice. A number of people okay. in the briefing room. And I'm saying that that's not right. This is not China. This is not Russia. This is the United ah! States. This is the White House. It's been seven months. I think you're the rest of us are here too, pal. It's been seven months. You guys have not done anything for me. If you have grievances, you should bring them to her later. I have done that. I have done that. All my emails have been ignored. And the press corps is tired of dealing with this. It is not you, Simon. I understand that you get questioned all the time and you the don't understand why it is to sit here for eight months and being discriminated against. I understand that you're in the front row and you feel comfortable and you get questions all the time. But there are people in the back who don't get any questions. Don't make assumptions about what the rest of us do. Mind your manners when you're in here. If you have a problem, you bring it up afterwards. But you are impinging on everybody in here who's only trying to do their job. Okay, Sorry. thank you. I'm saying that you shouldn't discriminate against some people because you don't agree with their question. You're Major offended point. by your Major question. Point. Major point. We all heard it. All right, Mike. When they say this chaos descended, uh, give me your thoughts on that. This is this is uh, pretty clear when you listen to the whole thing here, Craig. You know, you know, we, we may not have known what uh, you know KJP's uh, you know uh, beliefs were. All and again, um, she was she's been in just under a year, Craig, about May of last year. So uh, she's been in about ten months as as the uh, press secretary. Um, the you, you can hear the other reporters start to jump on, and and, and it's clear to them, it's it's this is not about access to the White House. This is not about First Amendment rights. This is about their process uh and they all have to do the same thing and they're all on board with kjp i mean it was like they were they were it was like coming off the bench to help her out uh you know the they're 
their ideals and their process there is we're going to play ball with this White House. We're going to ask them the questions they want. We're going to accept the answers they're giving us, and we're not going to make waves. And here you have this reporter from Africa who wants to ask actual questions and cannot get them taken. Uh, it's clear that the these reporters are all in lockstep with the White House. Oh, no, it was... It was bad, and 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 where what got me was here. You had another reporter. Now, once again, if there was another reporter in there who had gone that long without getting an, a question answered, they imagine if the New York Times went that long without getting a question, or uh, or or CNN, right? They would they would have been livid. And the thing is, is that I am quite sure that he has attempted to address this issue outside of the meeting and she if i if if, if, i don't know kjp i just know what i see of her in these briefings and i can tell you i feel pretty confident uh she probably just dismissed him and said no i'm not going to answer your questions and she's made that conscious decision you don't go seven months with someone who is as vocal as he is and have him not it's not like he hasn't asked questions it's just he doesn't ask the right questions uh, he doesn't, like you said, kowtow and suck up to the administration. He's not part of the game. But you've got these folks now, and I'll read some of their quotes. That's a photo of him. So you had Brian Brian Kareem, White House reporter, who first gained public attention uh, for an outburst at the Trump White House briefing, right? Say, mind your manners. Once again, this is a guy, Brian uh, 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 Brian Karam, who, who yelled out at, sec- at, at, at Huckabee Sarah, at, at Sarah Huckabee Sanders, now governor of Arkansas. He yelled at, he was the one who's known for yelling at her during a White House pre- pre- press out briefing. And yet he's telling this guy to mind his manners, right? You've got, you've got, uh, you've got him saying here, if you have a problem, bring it up afterwards, but you're impinging on everybody here who's only trying to who's only trying to do their job and say exactly what the administration tells them to say. Okay, that last part was not in the quote. Uh but you know, and then you've got the guy from NPR uh who who at the end says I just want to express our apologies from the press corps uh to folks watching at home for the display you saw earlier. Our responsibility is to them. And now here here was his response here's was here's was uh, uh, Simon's uh, response. He says, instead of standing for me, uh, once again, the White House press corps, the uh, NPR, uh, they attacked him in his letter to their members. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to go ahead and read the letter. You guys will find that there at his, uh, at his, you can see his Twitter handle right there. But my, it once again, and you take this, you take the Twitter files, you take all of this stuff that's out there right now. And it is very clear that there are members of the media who are okay with censorship as long as they're not the ones being censored. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is, this is one way, the entire way, whether it's at the, at the press corps level, at the network media, uh, or, or, or anywhere else that you look for your news, it's obvious that the White House controls many of the social media platforms or has influence in them, gets the what they want, and uh, if you happen to be on the outsider, they're going to ridicule you. There's no way, Craig, no way that this is the first time this guy has spoken up in seven months. He has probably followed every process and every procedure to try and get his questions answered, and today or yesterday was the result of frustration of him saying, you know what, if I'm going to get thrown out of here, I'm going to get thrown out of here with people hearing my voice. Exactly. 
exactly. And I hats off to him. Uh, I just I appreciate him standing once again standing up uh, because folks censorship is not good. And I promise you, those of you in the left wing media right now, uh, the minute you step out, if you allow others to be censored and to be shut down and moved out, the minute you step out of line with the uh, with the left wing orthodoxy on anything, you will be next. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. All right, the next item here, and this is another example of, well, the White House just flat out lying. Uh, Biden has issued his first, the first veto of his presidency. Now, the first thing to understand about him issuing a veto means that this piece of legislation had to pass not just a Republican-controlled House, but a Democrat-controlled Senate. All right? That is vitally important for you to understand. Uh, that that is in fact what has happened here. But he's issued his first his first veto. Now let me explain to you what that veto had to do with. It had to do with ESG investment strategies, right? Environmental social ES, yeah, ESG, uh, environmental, social, and and governance, right? So you have these basically woke investment people who want to push this policy of well. We're going to do socially responsible investing, meaning we're going to take a look at, okay, how do they handle the environment? Do they promote fossil fuels? If not, we don't. If they do, we don't, we don't want to invest in them. Uh, do they promote uh, the, do, are they pro-climate change? Do they believe in the concept and unequivocally say, we will shut down anybody who doesn't believe in climate change? Okay, well, if they do, that's good. If they believe that it's still an open question, Nope, that we don't invest in them. Do they support renewable energies over fossil fuels? If they do, great. If not, not so much. Then there's the social stuff. Do they believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion, including pushing critical race theory? Uh, do they promote pushing queer theory, transgender theory? Uh, if they are against those things, or if they don't support those things, we don't invest in them. And then there's the, the whole governance thing. Do they have uh, the right number of people uh, of certain genders, gender identity, or race uh, on their boards or among their management? Do they pay all of their employees the exact same? All stuff like that, right? Well, what this bill would said was, if you have an investment firm, or if you have, an inve if you have a retirement fund, and this was a, re a regulation that came out of the administration, it, for retirement funds, for investment funds, right? You can, you basically said that you can invest in companies that, or you can invest in funds or utilize ESG strategies when investing. The problem is this, is that when you sign what's called a fiduciary, when you, when you say we're going to take money and investment, invest it, you become what's called a fiduciary. A fiduciary has a responsibility. They sign a thing saying, we are going to do our best to both keep our keep the money that we invest safe, but also that we're going to try and, while at the same time, maximize the return for our investors. Well, if you implement this ESG policy, you are not necessarily keeping your money safe because guess what? You open it up to risk because you're, you're, you're taking companies out that are not as profitable, that are not as solid. All I have to say is uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and you know what I'm talking about. But now here's the thing. If you as an investor, Mike, decide I want to invest in a, 
I want my money to be invested in that way. That's okay. Under this law, you can still do that. But if I put my money into a retirement account and I do so under the understanding that their job is to maximize the return on investment and to keep my money as safe as possible while doing that, they now get to violate that fiduciary responsibility and do their woke investing. This bill would have basically said, no, you can't do that. You, you, if you're a fiduciary and the people have not agreed to ESG investment strategies, you can't just ignore, you can't just ignore that. And anyway, that's what this bill is. That's what this thing was. And Biden vetoed it, despite the fact that both Republicans and Democrats supported it. I apologize for the long explanation. Yeah, listen, folks, I'll, I'll say this. Listen, if you can't control the risk level of your investment, uh, don't invest in it. Uh, to, to, to don't you know, because you're going to end up like many people have ended up today with went with medium and uh, medium even medium risk stuff and all of a sudden the economy tanked and uh, guess what they're working another five or ten years to try and just make the money back not even trying to make more money um, I know it's harsh to say go out and just you know, you'll go with low yield guaranteed stuff like uh, you know bonds and savings accounts but uh, I, there's there's a there's a slew. There's a huge amount of people out there right now that are going to continue to work for the next five or ten years to make up for what they lost. Um, well, it's it's well, my, here's opinion. the thing that I'll tell you. What happened with Silicon Valley Bank? And we talked. I talked about this. They were invested in low yield Treasury bonds. The problem was this: was you know how banks only have a certain percentage of the money that they bring in. Most of it's most of it's yeah. out there invested, right? Yes. So what happened was they had a, because so many of their clients are tech firms and they go through cash really fast. A lot of their members were like, a lot of their clients were like, okay, we need our money. Well, they had low yield bonds that they had bought a few years ago that are only earning like 2%, 3%. Well, now those yeah. same bonds, now there's bonds on the market that are earning 5%, 6%. Well, you can't sell a 3%. You have to sell the asset in order to get the money. Well, you can't sell a 3% bond uh, if there's 6% bonds out there, so they have to sell it at a discount. What happened was they had to sell a bunch of them. And I, this was something I didn't even yeah, think talking, about. You're talking about banks purchasing you know, bonds. I'm talking about individuals doing it. Uh, well, um, yeah. yeah. Well, th yes. And if you purchase bonds, make sure that you can hold on to them for the long term because... Uh, you may be stuck with them and you may, you, you, you know what I'm saying? That's what happened in this case. If liquidity is an issue, uh, low yield bonds is not exactly a place to put your money. Well, you know, it's a, just, just, just so folks know, a low yield bond, if you go out and buy yourself a, you know, what is it, a double E series or something like the E series bond, um, you, you, they'll give you the projection for the money you're going to make. But one thing that you're never, ever going to lose is money on your own bond. Now you might make, make out making no money, but you're never going to lose. So well, it's either yield with with low risk or low with low gains, uh, uh, or you could go higher and, and stand to lose it all. If you put yourself in a position where you have to sell it when the market is, like I said, you have to then discount it. So if I'm trying to sell a 3% bond in a market where people can get 5% bonds, I have to sell it at a discount in order to be able to sell it. Right? So that's if why I say make sure it's something you can hold on to or you have to hold you can hold on to for the long term right but if i'm buying a, a u.s government treasury bond right and i'm right. buying one you know the world savings bonds right and i buy one at you know two percent or three percent whatever it happens to be right now and right. i pay i pay i'm just gonna throw numbers out there a hundred dollar bond right uh, and it'll mature in uh, in seven years 
Uh, right. be, and I'm paying you know, $80 for it now, whatever, whatever the numbers happen to work out. If I decide I'm going to sell it tomorrow, you know what it's worth? $80. Okay. You're never going to lose money on your, your savings treasury bonds. No, you're, that's no. why it's not worth $80. Cause no one will buy it at $80. The government buys it back because it's a U.S. government savings bond. They don't buy it back to no. That's not that's not the way it works. That money, that bond, they don't. It winds up being disc. It winds up being discounted. The, the, they don't buy it back until it hits maturity. It's got to hit maturity first. We, they're we not. Have, they don't. They're not required to buy it back until that bond matures. We're, 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 we, you and I are not going to settle this uh, without answers before the end of the program. So let's let's table this one. Okay, and, and, we'll, and we'll move on. We will table this conversation, and uh, and we will then move on to our parting shots. Hold on, trying to get it up, trying to get it up. There we go. And we'll move on to our parting shots, brought to you by Hog Holsters. That's helping America wear guns. All you got to do is go to hogholsters.com and uh, use discount code The Rundown, all caps, no spaces, and get your hog holster today. Uh, these first two I got to share with you are the funny part is, is that these are not memes. These are real. This first one, this is an article at Axios that says, is coffee racist? How drinking coffee perpetuates white supremacy. So in other words, drinking black coffee hurts black people, according to Axios. Real thing. Look it up. But wait, there's more. Now you've got PETA. Now, this is an older one, by the way, because they've been pushing this one. PETA now says, is also saying that cow's milk has long been a symbol used by white supremacists for more than one reason. Why does drinking milk, what does drinking milk have to do with white supremacy? I actually went and looked this one up because I wanted to make sure this wasn't just a manufactured meme. This was a thing that was started with them that's been pushed. I, I found the post from 2018, Mike. So, yeah, this is a thing. This is an actual thing. Now, now, Craig, I'm, I'm curious. Based on these two these two pictures you have, is is it coffee with cream that's racist, or is it black coffee? Oh, it's double racist. If you add coffee, if you add cream to your coffee, that is double. Yeah. Matter of fact, it doesn't just double your racism. Your white supremacy grows exponentially if you put cream in your coffee. Gotcha. Okay. Got it. Got it. What, just, about, what just if I put so sugar you know. in? What if I put and, a little sweetness in it? What if I put some sugar in it. And just so you know. The same people who bought into this bought into this concept as well. This is from the architect from the matrix. This, this tweet, it basically reads, I can't believe how easy it was for them to convince carbon based life forms that carbon is the enemy. <laughs> yes. Yes. So many Star Trek references in there too. I'm going to leave them all alone. Uh, it just beyond it is, it is amazing. It is amazingly funny. And then this last one where we were talking about there at the very end about uh, about the banks. This is Secretary Yellen, uh, and she is saying that uh, <laughs> she is testifying before Congress about the uh, about the uh, the run on the banks, where basically three banks crashed in a uh, in one week. Uh, it says it's a mostly peaceful and stable financial crisis. And meanwhile, we watch in the background as uh, the, it says bank crisis, inflation, energy crisis. And uh, they are all aflame. <laughs> uh, comedy is, uh, well, amazing. I will just say. I'm enjoying yes. the, the irony. 
All right, Mike, it's about that time for us to go. Uh, we, whoa, we had a long one today, but a lot of really good topics. This is what happens when we don't get to hang out uh, on, a, on the daily. But uh, yeah. before we do, how about a quick shout out to our sponsors? Hitmanindustries.net, hitmanindustries.net. You can get rifle and pistol lengths at rifle and pistol calibers. Go to hitmanindustries.net, buy direct from them. California Republican Assembly fighting a good fight behind enemy lines. Take part in California's future today. And uscombatgear.com. You want some field gear, some tactical gear, some web gear to go, everything but the gun, get over to uscombatgear.com. Folks, once again, these are our sponsors. Please visit them by following the links in the description of this program. And remember to tell them the guys over at The Rundown sent you. And with that, we're going to call it a day. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you liking and sharing the program and encouraging your friends to do the same. We will see you tomorrow on Hump Day. Hey.